Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. There is a word that the Lord has laid on my heart, and uh, I want to share that word with you this morning. And I don't mean a word as in a sermon, I mean a word, a particular word. And it's been on my heart for a little while now. And this word has been coming up quite a bit over the past few weeks. I'm not going to tell you what it is right off the bat, but I think very soon you're going to lean into and discover exactly what this word is. And it encapsulates really so much of what God is saying to you and I in this time, in this season that we are in. We're living in volatile times. And right now, when we look at the geopolitical landscape, things are not calming down. They are escalating. And in some ways, they're escalating very quickly. Instability is growing. I mean, we've got an election this year. Who knows what the outcome of that could be? We've got new political parties that are being born. And they are challenging the status quo from within and in a whole different way. And there's so many things that could take place. And we don't know which way these things are going. Troublesome times, worrying times, concerning times. How will these affect us? How will these affect us financially? How will they affect our economy? What about our family? What about our children and their opportunities? So many things to worry about and to consider. And it's in times like this where it is incumbent upon us to draw nearer to the Lord, to come into His presence, and allow Him to provide us with the clarity that we need, the certainty and the strength that we need to face these situations full of faith, trusting, and knowing who our God is in the midst of trying times and uncertain situations. Now, this word that I want to bring you, the Scriptures are awash with example after example of this word being used over and over again. And like I said, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it won't take you long to figure out what it is. Last week, I spoke to you about the call to purpose. And really, the essence of my message is, regardless of what stage of life you are in, regardless of how far you've journeyed with the Lord... Regardless of what ministry you've already done, or how many people you've already ministered to, or how many have gotten saved through your life or through your ministry, the Lord is not done with you yet. The Lord is not done with you yet. If the Lord were done with you, you wouldn't be here anymore. It really is just that simple. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, that is not the destination that we have reached. That really is a threshold that we have crossed into kingdom life of purpose beyond this natural world. Having an eternal mindset, realizing that what we do in this life will echo on into eternity. It will not only determine where we spend eternity, but how we spend eternity with associated rewards and blessings that God has assigned to specific callings and purposes and destinies for each one of our lives. And God's not done with us. There's more of God that you have not yet discovered. And we know that cerebrally, right? We know, of course, God is God. He's huge. There's got to be so much more of Him that I know. But there is this real call to say, hey, I, I want you to engage with this. I want you to engage with me in a level that you have not before. 
Because I want to call you into a deeper intimacy and a deeper relationship that you've had before, out of which will come a greater expression of fruitfulness as a natural outflow from this pursuit as you draw near. And so there's this call into greater purpose. And this week, I want to start with a scriptural invitation from the book of Isaiah. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture. Isaiah chapter 55. Are we able to display this morning? Fantastic. So let's read this together from the New Living Translation, Isaiah 55. And he says this, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know, and peoples unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while he may be found, or while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. And here we have this beautiful invitation of the Lord saying to you and to, I, to, and to me, there's this invitation, I want you to come, and I want you to drink, and I want you to partake of all that I have. It's freely available to you. It's all paid for. How? Well, we just partook of communion. It was paid for by the blood and the broken body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which means we have access and entrance into the presence of God and into all that He is and has made available for us. And here's this invitation. But He also says, this invitation is there to come, but there's the other side of the thing, which is to seek or to receive or to lay hold of that which you have and I have been invited into. Yesterday, my eldest daughter turned 12, and she had a party where she invited some of her friends around to our house. And there was movies and eats and squealing. Lots and lots of squealing. Ten girls. It was, it was, it was a lot. But everyone who came, everyone who was invited to the party, came and they partook of all that was there. They enjoyed the space in our home. They enjoyed the popcorn and the sweets and the chips and the pizza and everything else that was laid on by those suckers they call parents. And they all partook of it. You see, when you receive an invitation, you can choose whether or not to accept it, right? But you can also choose when you arrive at the party whether or not you're going to dance or if you're going to be a wallflower. Whether you're going to partake in the festivities or you're just going to sit back and watch other people partaking. Sometimes in our Christian life, we're very comfortable coming to the party and then watching others. 
dance, watching others enjoy the meal, watching others participate. Because for some reason, we shrink back. And the Lord is saying, no, come, partake, come eat, come and drink, come and enjoy all that I have and have made available to you. You see, invitations are intended to create legitimate expectations. Somebody's getting married, and you ain't got the invitation, don't expect that they'll have a meal ready for you if you happen to rock up. They'll be a little upset with you if you do. But if you did receive an invitation, you have a legitimate expectation that you will be catered for. You see, you don't invite somebody to your house if you don't want to share your time and your resources with them, do you? If you open up your home and you invite somebody to your space. You invite somebody out for a meal. You invite them for coffee. Why? Because you have a desire to commune with them. You have a desire to share what you have, but also who you are with them. You desire to share an experience with them and to have experiences together. Invitations invoke intimacy. Right? I'm inviting you in. And if I'm inviting you, I want intimacy with you. And so the scripture we've just heard is an invitation. It's God inviting you in. Into His heart. Into His promises. Into His provision. Into His mercy and His kindness. And into His forgiveness. Everything that He is, He invites us in. And He says, my invitation ought to create in you a legitimate expectation that when you come, you will find all that I have promised because I've invited you into it. I've invited you in. Why would I then turn around and say, no, 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 sorry, that's not for you. You see, sharing who we are and what we have with others is really the magic of life. I know I've shared this example before, but I was privileged when I was a kid to go to Disney World, and there's a reason they call it the Magic Kingdom, because everything is wow, and it's big, and it just seems magical, and you have all these rides, and it's, oh, the stuff of dreams, and I got to go again when I was a teenager, and it's the same thing, it's just this, this magical place of happiness and fun, and then I got to go in my 30s or 20s, I was in my 30s when I went, and it was just as I remembered it. But there was something different. On this particular day in my 30s, I didn't go with my family. I went all alone. And although I had the same experiences, I did the same rides, Splash Mountain, Space Mountain, It's a Small World After All, I, I, I flattened, well, I fled, flattened uh, the Magic Kingdom that day. And I realized as I was coming out of the place and I looked back on this wonderful place that just had so many special and wonderful memories for me, that the magic didn't lie in what they called the magic kingdom. That the magic lay in those I was sharing the kingdom with. It was the shared experience that made it magical. 
And this is what invitations do. It invites us into experiences that we share together. And there are many experiences, and we, we can think of this as an interpersonal thing with family, with friends, with spiritual family. There are things we want to experience together. But there are experiences that God is wanting to bring you into with Him that He wants to share with you that will utterly blow your mind and that you've never experienced before. They're the kinds of things where even if you did them on your own, it wouldn't mean anything. Because the magic isn't in the task. The magic isn't in the chore or in the deed. The magic, if you like, for lack of a better word, is in the experience of doing it together with Him. It's where the wonder and the splendor of it all is. And we see this picture play itself out in so many different ways, even in just one short passage of Scripture. A shared experience, an encounter that rippled, oh, that caused ripples and, and, and went further. And we're going to read from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 38 to 46. Jesus looked around and saw them following and said, What do you want? And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said. And then, following Jesus, Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, and looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John. And from now on you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. I saw a meme that I loved it's uh, this guy called Simon, and he's at the counter, and he's paying money over, and the guy says, here are your business, 1,000 business cards, saying, Simon the, the fisherman. And the next little thing is Jesus saying, from now on, you will be called Peter. <laughs> so we have this experience where they're saying, hey, Jesus, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And so they follow him. And then, verse 42, Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Okay, verse 43, sorry. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, Say, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, says Pete, said Peter. You see, there's an invitation here towards closeness and shared experiences that begins with him saying, Hey, Jesus, where are you staying? And he says, Come, see. Come and experience this with me. And then they go and tell someone else, and they say, Come and see this man that we've met. Come and share this experience that we're having because there's something different about this guy. There's something about him that's unique and that's special. We, we actually think he's the Messiah. From Nazareth, really? Just come and see. We also have the same thing play itself out with the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well and he has this conversation with her and he tells her her history. And she's completely shaken up and she runs back to the village. And we see John 4, 29. She says to the people there, Come, see the man who told me the thing, all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So let me ask you, have you figured out what the word is yet? 
Come. 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 It's an invitation. I'm not telling you about it. I'm saying to you, come. Come with me and experience this. Or we'll go together. And God doesn't want to just tell you how much He loves you. He says to you, come. I want to show you. God is not just wanting you to read about the greatness of His forgiveness. He's saying to you, come. I want you to experience it for yourself. God doesn't just want us to have an understanding about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they operate, but He whispers to you and me and says, Come, come, experience, come, draw near, come, see for yourself. I am saying to you, come, because I want to create in you, the Lord says, an expectation to experience something with me, to share in a powerful moment to share in a revelation, to share in something that could change and transform your life and or the life of someone else. This is the word that the Heavenly Father is speaking right now. Come. You see, when we hear that, so often our own religious mindsets convert and pervert this invitation to intimacy and shared experience with God into some kind of burdensome instruction. Let me say that again. When we hear this invitation of the Lord saying, come, sometimes in our religious thinking, all we hear is, okay, now I have to do something. God said I must, so I now have to, I'm obliged to come back. I'm obliged to act on this. You know, we would say something is wrong when a husband or wife feels that they must spend time with their partner. My wife and I often have conversations, you know, we fellowship parents around the school and we hear things and sometimes you just sit back and you listen to the conversations that, and what people say about their spouses and you think, wow. I thought loving family was kind of the norm and, and struggle and divorce and these sorts of things are the exception. You know what I've come to learn, folks? The opposite is true. Loving relationships where couples love each other and enjoy spending time together and carve out time and protect their marriages because they are precious is actually no longer the norm. It's become the exception. Relationships where spouses, you know, tell the others, oh, geez, you know what my wife did, and oh, you know what my husband is like, and oh, that's become the norm. And I would say there's something wrong with that. Intimacy, somewhere along the line, has been lost. Respect and has been lost. Delight in that person and in that relationship has somewhere along the line been lost because it's waned and other things have crept in and busyness has happened and trials and tribulations have come and they've failed to protect that which is precious. Now, don't get me wrong, that's not easy to do. And also, don't get me wrong, my wife and I are not perfect in this either. I want you to understand that in what I'm saying, though I'm not pointing fingers here, because this is hard. It's hard to close that gap and to keep it being closed when everything in the world constantly tries to draw us in separate directions. How many times have you sat at a restaurant and looked around and seen a couple sitting at a table, having a romantic dinner, both looking at their phones? If you've never seen that, it's probably because you've been too busy looking at your phone. <laughs> 
Likewise, we would say that there is something wrong when somebody begins to say, I have to spend time with God. I have to pray. I have to read my Bible. There are these burdensome things that have been put on my life and I have to do them because that's what it takes to be a good Christian. Folks, I want to say true faith and intimacy can only exist in a context of open-heartedness and willingness. If this is something we have to do, oh, man, we're, you know, think of it this way. God does not bless you because He has to. God blesses you because He loves you. And He desires intimacy with you, which is why He says to you, hey, come, come away with me. Come and spend time with me. Not as an obligation, but because you want to. Every day He issues us with this invitation. Come, be with me. Come and be with me. Without distraction. Just you and me. Jesus told a parable about this. We find it in Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to read uh, verses 1 through to 14. It's the parable of the wedding feast. And Jesus told them a and other parables, he said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Now please understand, the context of this is he is talking about the nation of Israel who rejected him, and so he opened up salvation to the world, to Gentiles who accepted, and one day he will come again. That is really what this is all about. But there's nuance in this that I'm wanting to draw from. I understand that's not the primary message I'm preaching this morning. But there's nuance in this parable that I'm wanting to draw out because it's applicable to what I believe the Lord is saying to us. So he's got this wedding feast that he's prepared for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he said to his servants to notify those who were invited. But they refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls are fattened, the cattle have been killed, everything is ready, come, come to the banquet. But the guests he invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business, others seized his messages and insulted them and killed them. In other words, we're too busy, I've got this thing going on and you don't understand, I've got all these pressures I've got all the stuff that has to be done, and I have to do it. There are so many other things that are so important that I need to see to. I can't accept the invitation now. Verse 7, the king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the, uh, the murderers and burnt their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I have invited aren't worthy of the honor. Why? Because they scoffed at the invitation. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
Now, as we look back at this parable broadly, we can see three responses to this invitation. The first is from those who simply didn't come. They scoffed at the invitation. They weren't interested. Come and have, share this experience with me. No thanks. We do not desire your experience. We do not desire intimacy with you. We do not desire to celebrate what means something and is a momentous occasion in your life because we are too busy and too wrapped up in what is going on in our own lives. Ultimately, those people rejected this wedding feast and never got to participate and enjoy it. Many were destroyed. Then there are those who came and enjoyed the privilege, the honor that, that was bestowed on them. They enjoyed the wedding feast and all that was on offer at the wedding feast. They shared the experience. They celebrated at this marriage and they got to enjoy it and they got to dance at the reception and enjoy the wine and there was a celebration. And they, even though they were sort of strangers, were made to feel like family. They were brought in and they shared the experience. And I think... We understand that this is a picture of an eternal wedding feast and the celebration that will go on, but if you can just even picture that as just a natural wedding that you'd gone to, and you would have a special bond with the people who were at that wedding for the rest of your life. The people who sat around your table, those 10 people that you took funny photographs with, you would have met the groom and his bride, you would have met the father, and you will have shared that experience and that would have been a part of your life forever. But then lastly, there was this man who came half-heartedly. He was indifferent to the occasion. He wanted to enjoy the pleasures of the wedding, but he wanted to do so on his own terms, in his own way. And this is the picture of an unrepentant heart, someone who is unwilling to change. Literally, he was unwilling to change his clothes. He didn't want to change. And so he came just any old way without respecting the one who gave the invitation, without respecting the occasion. You see, there are occasions and experiences that God wants to bring us into, but our attitude in them also matters. Respecting the occasion, respecting the one who has invited us, coming in with the right attitude and not an arrogant attitude, and unfortunately this man joined the fate of those who rejected the invitation. My last example for you this morning comes out of the book of Luke chapter 10, and it's the story of Mary and Martha, which we all know so well. Again, this invitation to come, an invitation to intimacy. Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She invited Jesus. You get that? Jesus didn't knock on her door like he did with Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house for tea. And they had cake and crumpets and repentance, and it was wonderful. Here, Martha invited Jesus into her, her home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. By the big dinner she was preparing, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and to help me. But the Lord said to her, Dear Martha, you are worried and upset over, these over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. 
So again, we see Martha has welcomed Jesus into her home, but she was so caught up by all the other things going on that she failed to share the experience with Him. He was there in her home, right there. And yet she was so busy and so distracted, she missed the moment. And when she actually went to him and said, hey, he said, you got this all wrong. You have made, you have majored on the minors. Have you ever heard that expression? Don't major on the minors. Don't make a big deal out of things that really don't matter. And that's exactly what Martha was doing here. She wanted to make sure the right cutlery was out, the crockery, and all the deal, the lasagna was in the oven and whatever, whatever was going on. And Jesus is saying, listen, Mary's just sitting here to be with me. Come. You've invited me into your house, but now I'm going to say to you, Martha, come. Come. Just come sit. Come be with me. Take some time to put aside all of those other things that just weigh on your heart and mind, that draw you in. Find some solace to just come and be with me. Some solitude. And I want to say that Jesus is saying to you and I this morning, come. To each one that does not know Him as their personal Lord and Savior, come. And to each one that does but is distracted with other things, come and be with me. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come. Come and I will give you rest. Come and I will give you peace. Come, I will love you and I will listen to you. Come and I will forgive you. Come and I will help you. Come and my grace is available to you. I will give you wisdom. I will show you the way. I will help you. But come with expectation. You see, if we don't come with any expectation, we've misunderstood the invitation. Did you get that? If we come with no expectation, we've misunderstood the invitation. If in our coming, we are doing all the talking, we are making all the requests, we are telling God how He should be fixing the world, and our spouse, and that other person in the office, and we are doing all the talking, and telling God how He should be providing, and when, and we're not taking any time to even listen, we've misunderstood the invitation. Jesus, isn't invi- Jesus is not inviting you to come and speak. He's inviting you to come and be with Him. Allow the Lord to lead you in shared experiences with Him. Because again and again and again, Jesus said, according to your faith, according to your level of expectation, it will be done for you. Folks, in a prophetic sense, I want to come back to where I started this morning, talking about the volatile times that we are in and the challenges that may lie ahead. You know, when you know how to get somewhere, you can get there again. I'm the kind of person, if I drive somewhere once, chances are I'll remember how to get there again. There are landmarks that I'll remember. Maybe it'll be years, and I'll go back, and I won't remember everything, but that landmark will be familiar, and that will be familiar, and it makes getting there significantly easier, and I have, 
I know what to expect along the way. We need to learn how to get to the place of peace and rest, to come and be with Jesus, to have Him breathe over us and hear His voice and experience what it is like to be led by the Lord, to get used to the feeling of His unction from within so that when the tough times do hit, we know how to get there again. We know what that place feels like. We know what the norm should be because we know what peace is and we're living our lives from a place of rest in His presence, a place of peace where we are engaging with Him, sharing this life experience with Him and able to receive and experience all the wonderful things that He has promised to us. So there's this call that I believe that the Lord is issuing. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in the Lord. It doesn't matter how intimate your relationship with Him may seem to be. The love of God is something that continually beckons us deeper. Because there's no way that we can exhaust it. There's no way that we can fully comprehend it. There's no way that we can experience all there is of it. But in His loving nature, He wants to continue inviting you in and drawing you deeper and to share experiences of love with Him. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.